Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Before, my name is Hannah, and I am married to the lovely James Toll, who is my absolute saviour, coming to my rescue there. Um, and you're so, so welcome if this is your first time here. Um, to those of you that are connecting in the live stream, although we can't see you right now, we feel very much that you are a part of everything that is going on um, in our community in this place today. Four years ago, Annie Masters, our senior pastor, um, asked me if I would have a think about speaking up here on a Sunday morning, to which I, thinking I was being very clever, said, well, and I, Jesus didn't really start his ministry until he was 30, so I think I've got a few more years to wait. So that bought me another 12 months. And then Andy approached me again and said, Hannah, I know you said the whole 30 thing, but I'd really love for you just to have a conversation with Jesus about it and ask him what he says about it. So I said, yep, that's no problem. I'll talk to Jesus about it. And if I'm really honest, I heard nothing. So I took that as a no. So I said to Andy, I don't think, I don't think it's for me just yet. And um, that bought me another 12 months. And then COVID bought me another 12 months, which takes us up to now. And about a month ago, Andy approached me again. And he, I said to him, I was like, yeah, Andy, like, I still haven't heard anything about Jesus speaking to me about speaking, so I don't know, and to which Annie replied, funny that, because he told me to keep asking you until you said yes. <laughs> Can't really say no to Jesus speaking through your senior pastor, can you? <laughs> All jokes aside, though, I am actually really, really excited to be up here this morning to share with you all. And we're going to be reading from John 13, verse 1 to 17, which is in the New Testament. Um, if you have a Bible in front of you, if you could open that up there. If you have a phone, that's also totally fine. If you just open that up um, and just type into Google John 13, I'm reading from the NIV version. Um, there also will be verses on the screen, but, um, but yeah, and if, we're going to camp out in this passage, so if once you get that open, if you just keep that open. Um, so yeah. So let me read John 13, verse 1 to 17. Come, Holy Spirit. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. 
When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Fairly truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. God, we just invite you into this place. We ask for you to speak to us through this word that you've given us, that we will be faithful to your word. Come, Holy Spirit. I wonder how you find receiving compliments. I don't know how to take compliments very well, and if you know me, you will know this about me. I would much rather than be in a text or an email rather than face-to-face. It's not that I don't like compliments. I think that we all need them. We definitely need encouraged every once in a while, but I just find them a little bit awkward. James told me that you just need to say thank you, that that's all that people want to hear. But I don't know. Hey, Hannah, your singing was amazing and it really, really impacted me. Thank you so much. Thanks. Silence. I don't know if it's just because I feel awkward or if the person giving the compliment is expecting me to kind of deflect it, because that's what we do in Northern Ireland. We get a a compliment, we try to just bat it off onto something else. One thing, though, that I carefully avoid doing is deflecting that compliment onto God. James told me this story, must have been years and years ago, it was at LVV, and James had just led worship, and Andy came up to him afterwards and encouraged him, and was said, like, you did such a great job doing worship, and um, all of this, and, and James was like, oh, no, no, like, it wasn't me, it was, it was God. To which Andy then responded, well, I think if it was God, it would have been a little bit better than that. <laughs> Brutal. Brutal. <laughs> I recently started taking much joy in laughing at both myself and others, but when we compliment each other's clothes. Literally, the other day, somebody said to me that they really like my dungarees. These dungarees that I bought because I like them, and I'm wearing today because I like them. And so they said, oh, I really love them, and I was like, oh, yeah, thanks. You don't think I look a bit like Monty Dawn from Gardener's World, though? No. Sometimes we just respond with this piece of information that's completely unrelated to what the person said. Lauren, here, I love your jacket. This charity shop. Here, Chris, your shoes are class. These, Fiverr. (laughs) (laughs) Next time you compliment someone's clothes, you will notice it. They will 100% do it. We always do it. In general, I think we're really good at giving here, but we're not so good at receiving. In the text we just read together, we see a similar response from Peter when Jesus goes to wash Peter's feet. Side note on foot washing. I think it's a bit of a weird concept for us to understand here. It makes me think of those fish tanks that people put their feet in and the wee fish like come and eat your feet. Equally as uncomfortable concept, but I don't think it's quite the same thing. In Israel, they lived in dusty terrain in hot climate in Birkenstocks. So dust, sweat, open shoes equals dirty feet. 
Foot washing was a mundane requirement, something you either did for yourself or it was a task that was reserved for the lowest of servants. Jews even argued that they didn't think that Jewish slaves should have to do it. Instead, it was reserved for Gentile slaves, women, thanks guys, and children. I've been married two and a half years now. Some of you are like, oh, that's so sweet. That's so sweet. But I feel like that's a decent amount of time to be able to give my two cents. Being married to James is literally one of my most favorite things in the whole world. But I have one grievance. And it's that we have to do all of these really gross things I didn't realize had to happen. Like when I lived at home, I used to find making my bed or doing the dishes so annoying. Like it was the most annoying thing to do. But now I have to clean the toilet, unblock drains, pull hair out of the shower sink. My hair, disgusting. I have to be honest, so James does do these things a little bit more than I do them. But I feel like cleaning the toilet or pulling hair out of the shower sink, it's kind of like this whole foot washing thing. It's something that just has to be done. But you do it when there's no one else around or you pay someone to do it. You definitely do not invite your friends around for dinner and ask them to clean your toilet. And you definitely do not let Jesus, God incarnate, pull hair out of your shower. So, you can hear Peter's brain breaking a little bit as he watches Jesus wrap a towel around his waist and begin to wash the disciples' feet. Verse six, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet, Peter asks. Scholars tell us that the way that this sentence was constructed in the Greek was that there was emphasis on it. It wasn't just, are you gonna wash my feet, but are you gonna wash my feet? Jesus, or not Jesus, Peter, was deeply uncomfortable with what was going on. Giving Jesus' feet a wash, Peter could wrap his head around. But Jesus washing his feet was socially unacceptable. This was just about the most uncomfortable compliment you could ever receive. And Peter refused it. But Jesus wasn't just washing feet to make a point about who should clean toilets and pull hair out of the sink. He was doing something much deeper. Verse eight, Jesus presses on the matter and he says, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Now this has two meanings. First meaning, which is what Peter would have understood, was that um, Jesus had to wash Peter's feet before he could take part in the meal that they were having together, because that's what they were doing. You can't share a part in this meal with me unless I wash your feet. Peter responds unashamedly in verse nine, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. In other words, well in that case, don't just pull hair out of the sink, clean the toilets, wash the dirty laundry, third door on the left, that's the room that we shove everything into when people come around for dinner. Clean it all. Peter was a bit of an all or nothing kind of guy. Second meaning, which is much truer to what Jesus was saying, was relating to his death. Explaining that Peter couldn't have a part in what Jesus was doing until Jesus washed humanity through carrying our sin on the cross. This, however, would have been completely above Peter's head. It's impossible for him to have understood it in that moment. 
Interesting information, Hannah, but where are you going? First 10, if you switched off, now's the time to come back in. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Let me read that again. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. What does this mean? In part, it means that what Jesus did on the cross was a once and for all act, period. We've been bathed, clean slate. We now have a part in what Jesus is doing here and now. But notice how Jesus still says that we need our feet washed. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. The washing of feet, it appears to be something different than getting a bath, something different to what happened on the cross. Remember what we talked about foot washing? It was a mundane, simple, ordinary, everyday kind of practice. You see, we walk on dusty roads too today. We hurry around doing so many things, trying to display how we love God and we love others. We give ourselves out through doing our best in our workplaces, in our friendships, in our family, in our relationships, coming to church events, serving on teams, making meals for people, showing the life and love of Jesus to those around us. All great things. But... As we whiz around in this busy, packed-to-the-brim lifestyle, we disturb the dust beneath our feet, and our feet get dusty. Check your feet, I hear Jesus saying in this text. All of us, me included, hands up high, we've put more emphasis on doing things for Jesus, on running around and doing all these things, rather than being with him. We're so eager to go and wash Jesus' feet and everyone's feet around us that we've forgotten to pay attention to our own. I don't think it's something that we've ever thought we wanted to put more emphasis on as such, but just living in this hurried, busy lifestyle that we live in, the scales have been kind of tipped. Being and doing. We're so much more better at doing than being. Now, I have to note that in verse 14, Jesus does tell his disciples, disciples that now he has washed their feet there to go and wash another. But as we begin to rebuild our community, we need to pay attention to what came first. And what came first was letting Jesus wash the feet. And every day, ordinary necessary kind of practice. So, what does it look like to let Jesus wash our feet other than cleaning toilets and taking hair out of the shower? I have four things which I have unapologetically nicked from Pete Scazzaro, and we're gonna have to kind of blitz through them because realistically we could do a whole series on each of these things. But here's a bit of a snapshot. Number one, make a radical decision. Like Peter, initially letting Jesus wash his feet is jarring, maybe a little bit uncomfortable. We need to make that radical decision to let it happen. 
Right now, we all have some habits and rhythms in our lives that are taking up that space. The need to be broken. Andy said last week that we are addicted to being busy, and he's right. Literally, the first thing that I do when I wake up is I reach for my phone. I'm restless to do something. I numb this feeling with the busyness of social media. Someone's engaged, another COVID restriction released, dungarees are 50% off, <laughs> heads buzzing. What if I'm restless for something else? Someone else. Augustine famously hit the nail on the head when he said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We're restless for him. What would it look like to open my eyes in the morning and reach for a psalm? What would it look like in the morning just to take a moment, just to say what I'm grateful for this morning? Or not to do anything, but just be. Somewhere at some point in your day, there is that habit, that practice that you do in order to antidote your restlessness. I promise you, whatever it is, it will never scratch the surface on what Jesus could do with those same few moments. Firstly, we need to make a radical decision to make space for Jesus to wash the dust off. Number two, feel your feelings. God isn't intimidated by our emotions. We are. We've taught ourselves that God wants us to suppress our worst thoughts, our envious desire, our inner rages, and just pretend they don't exist. That's not true. When we do this, do the feelings go away? No. Do we feel healthy? No. Are we able to best love those around us? Probably not. If you look at the scriptures, Job ranted at God. Jeremiah experienced depression. Moses felt anguish in the wilderness. David was unreservedly raw in the Psalms. Jesus cried. God wasn't intimidated by emotions. He spoke through them. So what does feeling your feelings look like? In order to feel your feelings, we first need to stop and acknowledge what we're feeling. Name it. Be specific. I feel let down. I feel angry. I feel insecure. Fill in the blank. Then from that place, lean into what the feeling is telling you. Write down what you're feeling and why you think you felt it. What triggered it? What can you learn from it? What does Jesus think? This slows us down from the hurriedness of life and invites Jesus into the conversation. He's not intimidated by our feelings. More often than not, he wants to speak through them. That can't happen if we don't allow ourselves to feel. We need to look at what the dust on our feet is made up of and ask Jesus what he sees in it. Number three, silence.
We're constantly surrounded by distractions and things fighting for our, t our attention. It becomes so normal that we actually feel a wee bit uncomfortable with silence, right? It's that restlessness thing again. We're restless for God, but we numb this feeling with all of these noises around us. Regular daily practice of silence cuts through. And if you're uncomfortable with it, don't put it down to just not being you. It's a discipline. The point of a discipline is that you're able to do something that you weren't able to do before, right? There's two kind of dimensions of silence, external and internal. External is like no noise outside of your ears. So that's no music, no TV, no coffee shop chatter. That kind of silence, that kind of silence that makes your ears hum a bit. Turn your phone off, sit in a quiet room, take a walk in the countryside, maybe go to a monastery. In this silence, we let go of our busy agendas and we let the dust settle. Once we start practicing that external silence, you'll realize what internal silence is or maybe what it isn't. It's that silencing of the constant chatter that goes on in our heads, the rerunning of conversations, both past and hypothetical, dreaming, idealizing, catastrophizing. This thing doesn't really have an off switch. And if I'm honest, I don't really know how you stop it. But I do know that the more I practice silence externally, the more the internal dust settles and begins to become more of a conversation with Jesus rather than a rerunning of the Hannah Toll show. Silence, a way of slowing down and letting the dust settle. Number four, commune with Jesus throughout the day. This is the breaking down of the sacred and the secular compartments in our lives the foot washing from Holy Communion. It's a familiarity with Jesus' presence at all times, a steady, continual conversation. Whether I'm practicing silence, whether I'm doing the shopping, whether I'm in my small group, or whether I'm just having a glass of wine with my friends, they're all sacred. You see, whenever we put too much emphasis on certain things is sacred, then we end up getting caught in this Christian busyness, prioritizing doing things for Jesus and missing him in the normal, everyday, mundane kind of things. Eventually, when we do this, we hit our max. We become absolutely exhausted. And we try to hit that sacred, secular switch we rush from worship practice to that prayer meeting on the way home. We're checking in on that person from our small group. And by the time we get home, you get back to your parents, to your spouse, to your friends. You just need to hit off. Off from talking about Jesus, talking to Jesus, doing for and acting like Jesus. We don't like to admit it, but it's true. When we give out too much, it just happens. It's that thing that Andy talked about last week in regard to breathing. If we constantly breathe out by trying to do things for Jesus and for others that we forget to breathe in, we just collapse. Stretch the analogy a little bit further, it's the same thing for feet. 
If we run around trying to do things, washing Jesus' feet and everyone else's feet, but we don't pay attention to our own feet, they get dustier and dustier, and then they get sore and they get blistered. Listen to the words of Brother Lawrence, a Carmelite monk. He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present, he has bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He's nearer to us than we think. Every part of our days can be sacred if we invite him in. In worship, in napping, difficult conversations, in the silence of your car as you drive to work. We need to invite Jesus into our everydayness the ordinary, necessary, repetitive kind of practices of washing our feet. Ban, why don't you guys come on up? I look out at your faces today and I see so many people that are incredible at pouring yourselves out to do the things of Jesus for him and for others. Those in need, those hurting, those in our city that just need to hear that they're loved and that they're seen. It's an absolutely stunning thing to witness and it is one of the main reasons why I love to call this place my home. You don't just talk about Jesus, you go out and you do the stuff. Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And some love God, others, and others, right? I think you guys are brilliant at this, but the verse closes with two words that really impact how we are to love. Love others as yourself. Do you love yourself? Do you know how to love yourself? I know someone who does. I know someone that loves you so much that he was willing to give up his life for you. Fact. And there is nobody better in this whole wild world than him to show you how loved that you are. Let him wash your feet this morning. The band are gonna lead us in worship and I want to encourage you to use this moment, this precious moment where there's no busyness, there's no distraction, no rush. Just rest in his love. Why don't you guys stand? Can I invite you to open up your hands in front of you if you're comfortable? We just do this as a physical posture to symbolize that we're open and we're ready to receive from Jesus. Let him show you what unashamedly, unreserved foot washing kind of love looks like. Some of you know that you've been pouring out too much. 
Maybe you didn't realize until you got here this morning, but this is a moment for you just to receive. Let him flood into all the cracks and crevices where you've poured out too much and you just feel empty. Some of us feel like we've been so caught up in the hurriedness of life that we've hit that sacred secular switch feel like that we haven't really been doing anything for Jesus, never mind being with Jesus for a long time. Brother Lawrence, one need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. You don't need to convince Jesus to love you. He doesn't work the way that the world does. He already loves you. He already chose you. He's been waiting with you every day in every part, every room, waiting for you just to invite him into the conversation. If you want to do that this morning, join me as we pray. Jesus, I invite you into every part of my life this morning. Show me the sacred in all things through you come with dusty feet and ask will you wash us show us what unreserved love looks like that we may first receive so that we may then give it out come Jesus come